So tonight there's three questions have been offered, uh, and thank you for that. I'll start with the first one here, which says, When you invite me to bring up a feeling of gratitude, what immediately arises is an unpleasant feeling, which I think is probably guilt because I perceive myself as being basically an ungrateful person. Can you say something about this? Yes, I can say a lot about that. I'm very familiar with how it feels when we perceive that we're being told how we should be. Uh, I referred last night in the, the talk to this this particular predicament in this situation we whether it's we telling ourselves how we should be or or other people telling us how we should be we've all had too much of this in our lives and uh, it's not helpful if we're still being trapped by our reactions to this the mindset of my lovely grandmother was one that did believe that uh, if you do naughty things and you're condemned and you go to hell forever. That's what she believed. That's a terrible thing to have to live under, that perception. That by making a mistake or even doing something wrong, that you're condemned forever. And so I feel sorry for my grandmother, actually, and, and for anybody who holds to such a, a view. From the Buddhist perspective, which I find uh, vastly more helpful, that even if you do do things that are not good, and even if you do go down for a while, it's not permanent. Even Devadatta, who tried to kill the Buddha, is only down there temporarily. Yeah. So I think that uh, the basic view that permeates all of Judeo-Christian culture, that when you die, that's it, you just there's one chance you either go up or you go down forever, it creates a very um, unsubtle mind state that, that actually obstructs compassion. And I think this is very, very important. When we're looking at our own conditioning and wondering why we get so stuck with such rigid self-views, well, my feeling is, my experience is, it's perfectly understandable. What else do you expect? The, the way we were conditioned. It's black or white. This is it. One chance, you're going up or going down. And even if you weren't actually subjected to intense um, religious uh, programming, it's part of our culture. It's there for everybody. And it's a very, very unhelpful uh, perspective. And, and so this is basically what we do to ourselves. That If we see that we are in some way at fault, we're lacking in some way, like in this case, if um, you hopefully mishear what I'm saying, hopefully I'm not telling you that you should be grateful. I certainly try very hard to not, not preach at you. I am enthusiastic, but I certainly don't mean to preach at people about how they should be. And when I encourage that we all try to bring into heart and mind a feeling of gratitude, then it is that. It's, a, it's, a, it's an effort to encourage us all in this, but not to tell us how we should be. 
But if that is how you hear it, and then you feel that, well, I'm not as grateful as I should be, I'm an ungrateful wretch, well, then automatically, according to our condition, you're going to feel guilty. What else do you expect? So that, that contemplation, that line of thinking, I find personally very helpful. Of course we feel guilty, because that's what we were programmed to feel. You know, you say something heedless or, you know, many of us can spend years, many of us have spent years and years worrying about things that happened decades ago. Maybe you, you did something, you, know, you maybe said something to your mother or, or an, an old girlfriend or an old boyfriend that was unkind and uncaring and, and, you know, maybe it was totally inappropriate. But to f- spend the rest of our life feeling guilty... That's even more inappropriate. That's, you know, we made one mistake by whatever we said or did, but every time we indulge in guilt, we're making another mistake. We're hurting ourselves completely unnecessarily. Guilt, in my experience, is a perversion of the wholesome sense of moral shame. Hitty is a sense of uh, conscience or moral shame. The Buddha talked about the two things, Hiri and Otapa, the protectors of the world, that when these things, these qual- sense of moral shame and fear of blame or criticism, now those are not very elegant ways of translating them, but if we look behind what our reactions to those words might be, well, a sense of conscience or a sense of shame is, is perfectly appropriate. If you can do something really bad and not feel ashamed, there's something sick there, isn't there? But because we have within us this sense of moral shame that to do anything to hurt somebody, to intentionally wish to hurt any living being, including ourselves, it's appropriate that we feel ashamed. And that sense of shame is, is pain that comes up, but that pain teaches us. It's like the heart's learning. Don't do this. This is, the, this is, this is an inappropriate thing to do. And just the same as if you touch something hot, you feel pain, and the pain teaches you let go. You know, that's the organismic message that's helping us have an intelligent relationship with the material world. Well, a psychic message that when we do something inappropriate, yeah. immoral, unethical, abusive, the psychic message is a sense of shame, that we feel ashamed for having done something unskilled. And that's, that teaches us, oh, that was inappropriate. And at that point, if we get the message, we say, wow, yeah, I got it wrong. And we let go, Don't begin again. And if it's really painful, well, then we maybe have to make a very conscious determination and say, may this pain teach me whatever it is I need to learn so as to be more careful next time. Yeah. I find that a wonderful way of turning around remorse. Remorse, is likewise, is very appropriate if we've done something unskillful. You know, like being an ungrateful wretch, if that's how we see ourselves, well, that's unskillful and all the goodness that we've received, well, we feel a little ashamed and we feel some remorse for that, that's appropriate. Yeah. So we can, we can say, may this pain teach me what I need to learn, to welcome, like I was saying, to welcome the pain. Yeah. Now what happens if we've been infected with guilt, which is a perversion of this wholesome state? What guilt is, I, at least how I use the word, is that what guilt is, it's something that we've been taught to say, I am good if I hate myself for being bad. Now, this is very different. This is twisted. 
this is I mean, if you want to if you want to, and we've been taught at least I was taught you know if you want to be a good person you hate the bad people hate all evil and that makes you good and so when we make a mistake we do something bad if I want to be good I hate myself and that's what guilt is it feels terrible and not only is it the, the pain of hating ourselves self hatred how horrible that is you know what it's like to be hated by somebody else when somebody hates your guts. They look at you with daggers. You know how awful that is? Well, when we do it to ourselves, it's even more awful. And so that's one aspect of guilt. And the other aspect of it is the fear of condemnation, that we're going to be condemned for what we've done. And so this guilt is a particularly uh, Western dysfunction. You try to talk to Asian teachers about the problem that many of us have with guilt and they just don't know what we're talking about. You know, I think the Dalai Lama, somebody asked him about it, says, oh, in our country, somebody like that, we say they're mad. Chao Kampanyananda came to visit and there was a question and answer session and somebody was trying to ask his guidance for dealing with guilt and he just couldn't get it. He just couldn't, he just couldn't understand what we're talking about, this this self-hatred, self-loathing loathing that's associated with fear of being condemned for eternity. Yeah. It's our problem. It's not their problem. They have other problems. Yeah. They've got plenty of them. But... So don't be surprised if in reading Asian texts you find a lot of guidance on how to deal with guilt. This is something we have to come to deal with. But the thing is, uh, the approach that I would encourage is to welcome it, to welcome guilt. It's so irrational. I spent the early part of my life as an adolescent totally denying guilt because it is so utterly insane. I mean, you know, I was taught to feel guilty for even having a good time. Well, some of the things I did were, were not totally appropriate. Some of them were, you know, pretty borderline, but no reason to feel guilty. Not, no reason to feel guilty. There's never a reason to feel guilty. To feel ashamed, yes, if we've done something unskillful. So I spent a lot of my life trying to pretend I didn't feel guilty. And then it took, it took quite a lot of skillful work to untangle this knot, to actually see that, oh, guilt is, a, is something we're taught. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, an abuse of um, spiritual teaching. There's nothing wholesome about hating ourselves, never. Never is hatred conquered by hatred, but by readiness to love alone. This is eternal law. This is the Buddhist. This is the Buddha's words, not mine. Never, never ever by hatred is hatred conquered, but by readiness to love alone. This is eternal law. So what is love? Well, one aspect of love is to say welcome. So when we feel you know, guilty for whatever, whether it's because we don't feel that we're uh, grateful enough or, or appreciative or forgiving or whatever, generous, whatever we feel guilty about, using this line of thought to somehow ease ourselves into a willing receptivity, a willing receptivity to say yes to guilt. Even guilt, even horrendous guilt has to be received. There's no way of bypassing it if it's been programmed in We've got, to, we've got to turn it around. We've got to find a way of turning around everything. So, And I trust if we have that approach, well, then, then a natural intelligence will kick in and we'll find our own way 
of undoing the tangle. We've each got our own tangles and own knots, and then we've got to find our own way of undoing them. But first, we've got to be willing to receive it. The pain can be very real and can, you know, can be horrendous, can lead to terror if it's been deeply conditioned in and denied for long enough. But that doesn't change the principle. The principle is still it needs to be received. The four noble truths, the first noble truth is there is suffering. Suffering needs to be recognized, needs to be, under, needs to be seen and then it needs to be understood. So in this case, um, feeling, feeling guilty, uh, or whatever else the unpleasant feelings might be that, that get triggered as a response to my suggestion that we try to bring into heart and bring into mind a feeling of gratitude, whatever the negativity is, I would suggest that we start by, by saying welcome to it. Welcome because we understand, not, this is important in all of our effort in meditation, that when we, when we engage with our experience, we're not doing it as a, as a perfunctory technique. We're not doing it as a willful, thoughtless, insensitive effort. But rather it's an it's a interested inquiry into how to come into an unobstructed relationship with this reality. It's just like if you have to live with somebody who you find thoroughly objectionable. And probably most of us have had that experience. I've had it many times. You don't have any option. In the monastery, that's pretty much constant, basically. <laughs> right now, we're having a break. Right now, I find everybody I have to live with thoroughly lovely. And I'm very grateful and appreciative for all the company that I have in the monastery these days. But actually, to tell you the truth, that most monastic life, you find <laughs> there's somebody around that's really you just really rather would not have to be living with. Because we don't choose to live together because we like each other. That's not why we come together. It might happen to happen that way sometimes, but we, we choose to live in monastic life because we support each other. We have a shared aspiration for liberation. And we have respect for the Buddha's teaching, and that brings us together. So, uh, and that's beyond personality, beyond, beyond liking and disliking. So often we find that we're living with people who we would, you know, if we had a choice, we wouldn't be living with. And so then you're faced with the situation, well, here we are, we're living together. How can I come into a meaningful, honest, real relationship with this person? Now, if you find yourself in that situation, then there's an intelligence kicks in that shows you how, isn't there? You know, if you find yourself in a situation, or even if you're living with somebody who you really like a lot, but you get into an argument and you, you, know, you temporarily dislike them, you know, then the, the mind goes, well, how can, I, how can I heal this? How can I bring this back to something that's real and, and beautiful again? If we ask ourselves that question with regards to this thoroughly obnoxious condition that we have to associate, be associated with called guilt, feeling guilty in this case, or whatever other unpleasant feelings we might be feeling, how can I come into a very real, accurate, sensitive relationship with this being? Because this guilty being is a being. When I feel guilty and I attach to guilty, then the guilty being is born. Just the same as any other feeling that I have. If I feel glad and I attach to the gladness, then I get all radiant and lovely and my complexion glows. And people say, oh, you're looking so healthy, Ajahn Endo. That's what happens. 
if we grasp at something, then that being is born. You grasp at sadness, and you can look at somebody who's lost in sadness, and their whole face is, their whole being is sad, their whole deportment is sad. Or somebody is lost or grasping at anger, their whole being is ugly with anger, because yeah, there's an angry being there. Well, likewise with guilt. You know, we've done something in the past that we regret, and for whatever reason we weren't able to simply learn from the sense of shame and drop it and determine to begin again. And rather we held it and pushed it down and pretended that we weren't feeling guilty or whatever our other unfortunate relationship we have with, with guilt. Whatever it is, it's old pain still stuck within our system. When it, res- when it surfaces, here's a guilty being. And we can meet it and say, all right, welcome. welcome. How can we get to know each other? Usually I start with a cup of tea. That's usually what I, if I want to get to know someone, I say, why don't you come over for a cup of tea? And like when new people would come to the community, say, would you like to come over for a cup of tea sometime? We start having a chat and, you know, and then we get to know each other. So you can say that to, to your moose. Say, would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> Guilt. Can we sit down and have a cup of tea together? Whatever you say to people you want to get to know, say it to your mood, to your guilt, and see how your relationship starts to change. See how you open up, and there's all sorts. And the more open our heart is, the more open our mind is, the vaster and more creative the intelligence, the the possibility for discerning a way through. We've got a, you know, if you've got a tangled thread, if you know. Monks sometimes do crochet, and in these days we don't have much time to do these things, but in Thailand the forest monks do a lot of, a lot of crochet. And it's quite funny if you've never seen it before, some of these great big burly monks sitting there with their crochet hook doing crochet for hours on end. Sometimes you see them walking meditation and doing crochet. Crocheting bowl covers, crocheting cup covers, crocheting torch covers, crocheting little hats and so on. And, but sometimes your crochet thread gets in a tangle. And if your crochet thread's in a tangle and, you, and it's too tight and you keep pulling it too tight, what happens? Well, you don't know what happens. It gets worse and you get more frustrated. But if you hold it lightly, just kind of pull it a little bit this way, that way, just loosen it up, loosen it up a little bit. You're not, you're not, you're not expecting to get the, third, the right thread the first time. Just a little bit this way, a little bit that way, and kind of just loosen the thing up. Well, so it is with our tangles, like, like guilt or these other unfortunate negative conditionings that we've been carrying around. Just pull it this way a little bit, a little bit that way, until it loosens up a little bit and the heart opens, the mind opens. And then with the space, well then, we can start to discern, start to see our own way through it. Until eventually, we learn what we need to learn and we let go. So I hope those uh, those thoughts are helpful with regards to this, this question. Ajahnabhi Nando has a question. Would you like to? So what is your advice on how to deal with negative thoughts against oneself and others that arise in sitting meditation and in daily life.
So basically that includes everything, isn't it? So what is your advice on how to deal with negative thoughts? Um, yeah, brief, well, I would recommend investigation. That's, to put it in one word, a bit on the lines of what Ajahn Molinda was uh, talking about. There's, of course, a level of, say, negative thoughts where we, we, we can say, well, it's just uh, not to make too much out of it. I mean, it's just the nature of thoughts. Sometimes positive thoughts come and then positive thoughts go, negative thoughts come, negative thoughts go. So that's just the nature of the mind. I mean, I guess we all, with the thinking mind, sometimes we have negative thoughts or, or critical. If you don't, if you don't give, it, give that thought too much, Emphasis. I'm not caught in it, then it doesn't really have to be a problem. You can just, you know, let, it, let it cease in its natural way, because it's not things are not always to our liking, and it's a natural reaction. You know, we react with dislike, and it might manifest as a negative thought. But say in this case, if we do perceive it to be a really kind of um, a problem uh, for ourselves, if we perceive it as a, you know, in a similar way as in the in the previous. A question like if you feel we have a particular problem with being too critical or negative, if you feel it's a kind of personality trait or something that keeps coming up and we want to deal with, then I think, well, we first of all, we have to take an interest in it to, to find out what is actually lying underneath it, what is nourishing this tendency, or where, you know, always say in any case, where, where do this, what, what, is, what is giving sustenance to this? Thoughts. What's what keeps those keeps those patterns going? Uh, not much use, I guess, to be idealistic or just come from a position of well, I shouldn't have negative thoughts. It's just uh, of feeling negative about ourselves for having negative thoughts. We're just adding more negativity to the negativity that's already there. And so then the uh, practice of awareness, then is about example, this is one of welcoming, isn't it? That's one of accepting, first of all, that this is there, this is a condition that we are working with, and then we are interested in, in If you have a sincere aspiration to uh, not be so caught in negativity, um, say in general, or in a specific situation, wanting to come from a more, from a more positive uh, place in, in ourselves, in our hearts, then I think that helps if we already keep, if we just if we keep, keep this up, keep this going, are sincere about our aspiration, then we can receive the experience of the negative thought just fully as it is and feel it. So first of all, feel the pain of it. It probably doesn't feel very good if you feel stuck in negativity. So then really being willing, that's the first step. And that's what, what's, the, what's the aspect of acceptance. Is. Acceptance doesn't mean that, like condoning it, nothing, oh, that's just the way I, I am, so... That's fine, that's just my way of being or something, but it's to, to actually accept the experience, the situation in the moment as it is, as a way of entering in relationship uh, with it. Oh, it's like this right now, so we are fully willing to take this on. So this is something that we want to take responsibility for and that we want to find out about. So that's where the investigation starts. You know... Uh, like for as an example, for example, if say you had a bad day or at work or something, you come home and 
you meet your partner or your children or something and they say something, do something, and you respond to them in a very nasty or unsuitable way. So maybe you, have, you say something negative, have a negative thought, and then, well, uh, you know, of course, if you, if you look, uh, first of all, if, you, if you're aware, you feel the pain of it. If you look, if you're aware enough of what's happening, then you know, of course, it, well, it has nothing to do with, really with that person in the moment. But it is what's happening is that you're actually reacting to whatever they have said or they have done from a space in yourself which is pained because you, you had a bad day and you have maybe not uh, been able to fully acknowledge um, the pain you have, that maybe you have accumulated, discomfort you have accumulated during the day, you haven't been able to let go of it, so you're carrying that with you, you carry that history into that moment. You don't come into that um, relationship and that, that interaction in, in a neutral way. So then it, we respond from a reactive place. So we know that's one of the, the reasons, say, if, if we if we practice meditation cultivating awareness as a refuge, that is one way in which it can, you know, can be liberating or help us also in our relationships and dealing with our emotions. You know, it's, it's when we create a bit of space around actually the content of our mind. And this, in this case, maybe you know, if our awareness is strong, we, we are quite aware and we have the kind of refuge stability in the awareness of knowing we're coming home, for example, and we are stressed. We're carrying this charge with us so we are not completely lost in it. We have a perspective on it. It gives, it gives us a part of us that's bigger than it. It's outside of it. And then if something comes into this hurt space in ourselves, you know, somebody, something that somebody says, then we don't have to, we, we are not trapped. We are not have to automatically react to it from the pain space. We can just notice this is triggering something. But we have a reaction. If we have a, not a reaction, if we have a refuge in awareness, then we can perhaps, oh, you know, just feel that and then instead of reacting from the pain in ourselves, then respond from a place in ourselves which is deeper than the pain or the discomfort that we are feeling, which is connected directly to our heart, to awareness, and then can come come, from a more clear and compassionate space, in spite of of, um, perhaps the hurts that we carry with ourselves. So that, that in itself, that in, involves a certain kind of investigation, you know, so to be present or experience in that, in that way. That's that maybe uh, the, the ideal way of working with it, if we feel, you know, if we have the, the clarity uh, of presence in our, our interactions. But the problem is often, of course, this is these, some of our, our hurts and therefore reactive places in ourselves, we, we carry them from much longer ago than just from, you know, having a bad day at work or something. You know, we can sometimes, might, we might carry scars, uh, you know, a lot of scar tissue <laughs> in ourselves from a long time ago. In fact, perhaps a, a, a huge part of our, what we call our personality, our personality structure, might just be actually different forms of compensation for hurts, for pains that we have received well, who knows how long ago? Certainly, let's say early on in our life, when we were very small and we were not very equipped. We didn't naturally we didn't have much wisdom. We didn't have much awareness. But still, we are exposed to life, you know, and all its ups and downs. And there can be a lot of hurt happening. But as little children, we might not have much you know, resources to actually 
understand, get any handle on it, and therefore also no chance of really letting go of it in, in an informed kind of wise way. So often what happens, those things, they just get, well, you know, maybe we, we feel like we've just forgotten, but, but often they, this is not the end of those things. They, they just get kind of buried down somewhere you know, and, and start, to, you know, start to form crusts around it, which become kind of our you know, strategies of how we start to orient ourselves in life, trying to avoid pain in the future, protect ourselves in some ways from being hurt in a similar way where we might not feel able to, um, to, um, yeah, to, to wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly deal with some experience. And that, that can become kind of deeply ingrained patterns in our life. And some of that can manifest later as um, different forms of you know, habitual negativity and negative thoughts. You know. I think that that's, a, you know, like I say, also the, the parallel to, to this example of, of uh, the bad day at work. You know, if there's pain in ourselves, which is not fully seen, not fully acknowledged, not fully, and therefore not fully let go of, it's kind of simmering on some levels, often not even consciously. You know. And then that translates often the way, the way that seeps out of our system. Is, uh, it can often be uh, negativity. It's a kind of a form of poisoning of the heart, really. It stays in the system as a kind of poison. It makes things kind of, yeah, um, slightly sour or negative. And that's the same actually happens with a lot of the resi- residual pain, the hurts that we receive, not you know, in just uh, a day, but you know, our whole life, or who knows, who knows for how long. Much of that has been you know, lots, lots of bad days at work you know, behind us. Uh, lots of accumulated pain. So that as an idea or as a kind of background, say maybe uh, for what to look at, of course, it helps sometimes on, a, on an intellectual level uh, if you know some you know, of our history, some kind of um, experience that we have had and that we know that we deal with because it gives us a perspective perhaps that we might not feel so trapped in, say, taking those things too personal might help us to be more forgiving for ourselves and not, for example, being caught in the, in, in the habit of guilt, feeling guilty about it. You know. uh, but it doesn't, that alone, of course, often doesn't help us to actually let go of the pattern. And that has to be more coming in a more direct relationship into our, in how we are actually doing this right now. And that then I think the, the, the recipe for me or what to do or how, you know, how to work with it in our meditation, both in formal meditation as well as in daily life, uh, as in with the, the practice of awareness is this um, aspect of acceptance and welcoming. Because what needs to be welcomed there, what needs to be seen, not what needs to be accepted is the pain that underlies those patterns of negativity. I feel usually, often, what, what is behind you know, a, you know, patterns of negativity is some form of pain which hasn't been acknowledged. So that's true for the example of the day at work. We have to come to that place to see, all oh, right, it's this pain actually that I'm reacting from, from. And if we want to stop reacting from it, then what we have to come to is into the ability of just feeling that pain and not needing to act out in some way from there, being able to be vulnerable and just feel the pain that needs to be felt. 
not having to project it out or put it on somebody else, finding somebody to blame for it, consciously, unconsciously. And that's true as well, and some for the, say, deeper scars that we might have from past experiences. We have to come somewhere to a place uh, where we can actually just allow those things to come up and be able to do what we were not able to do at the time when we have received those hurts. That is to actually acknowledge them, feel them fully, and not react to them, but allowing them to... um, well, to be there, if they need to be there. And that's, this is a lot of this is often kind of like frozen energy in our lives. That just if you bring the kind of attention, it starts to can melt and start to flow again. So, in order for in order to, to, to do that, we need first, of course, to, to, to find ways of getting in touch with those things in a way that we feel safe and we're able to feel that, and then we can we can reduce our reactivities. If we want to get in touch with them, then we have to be willing, first of all, to be um, with, you know, with, the, with the indicators. You know, that is, first of all, of course, the negativity, you know, being able to actually be with it, look at it, and then ask questions, not pretending to have the answers or repeat to ourselves everything that we know already about it, you know, because if that would have been the answers and we wouldn't be stuck in those patterns anymore, but to bring questions to it that take us deeper, that might reveal some of the underlying uh, conditioning that, that causes us this, this particular form of suffering. And that again, that is uh, a question for, uh, for us to be creative because we are all different, we have different ways in which we are molded up, and different forms of neurosis, so we, have diff- we need to ask different questions to, to get to those places. But that's one way of using investigation in, in meditation, also in your formal practice. If those things come up, be actually willing to be with them, not taking them as distractions and trying to push them away and go back to my meditation objectives. They keep coming up, come to a place where, where you actually invite them in and, and want to learn from them. Then feel them in the body, notice them, and then ask yourself questions that might lead you a bit beyond the horizon of what you already know. So that, say, that um, intelligence in yourself, that which is the, the intelligence of the mind, that is natural curious, is not in, put into the place of the knower, the one that, that has to know everything already, but it's put in the, in the place of the listener. So you ask the questions into your experience and then, then you listen for what, what else is there, what, what might come up. And then we have to receive those things in the consciousness and feel what needs to be felt. So it can be very simple questions like what is what is lying underneath all this? You know, what is all this about? What makes it so difficult? Questions of that that, that kind of type which invite kind of things to come to surface. I think that's what comes to mind from your mind. What comes to my mind with regards to both these last questions is the um, the perspective that 
when these questions like this arise, they're, they're real questions, and to appreciate them like that. You know, sometimes when we come up to the level of difficulty like this last question that Ajahnabhinanda was addressing, uh, how do I deal with negative mind states? You know, or the previous question about feeling guilty. And uh, When we encounter this stuff, we can just get to feel bad about ourselves. But it's really important to remember what we're in this for, you know, awareness. You know, there's a huge number of people out there for whom their minds are also possessed with negativity and, and, and lack of self-respect and guilt and so on and so forth, but they don't know it. And, and so the very fact that we can acknowledge to ourselves, oh, I've got a thing about negativity, my mind's full of negativity, or I just feel guilty because I don't have any gratitude, that's a good thing. I think it's very important to remember this. That's a good thing that we're asking these questions. And as I was saying last night, we need to really focus on the goodness, to remember the, the goodness that is the context of what we're doing. We're not bad people. Just because we have a little bit of something obnoxious passing through us doesn't make us bad. In fact, the very fact that we have a perspective on it shows that we're committed to goodness. Yeah. And that's, that's, I find that really helpful to remember. Otherwise, we can just sink into this quagmire of muck. You know, and, and you can pick up other people's muck as well and add to your own muck and, and just become all mucky. And <laughs> but that's not what we want to do, is it? That's not what we came into this, this game for. It's because we do believe that complete freedom is possible and, uh, and, and finding the nourishment of goodness supports us in it. And I, that's uh, like I generally started off by saying to to generate a, a, a strong, broad sense of awareness um, so that we don't get sucked into this negativity is, is really terribly important. And this next question also follows on in very much the same vein. It says, what is a skillful way to work with anger when it arises in response to what one feels as ignorant behavior by others? Well, as we've said with the last two questions, to, you know, the basic view from the spiritual perspective is how can I welcome this? Because yeah. we're struggling with it. Yeah. Again, come back to the example of relationships within the outer world. You know, if you're just getting on fine with everybody, you know, Ajahn Abhinanda, he's great. I don't have a problem. Nino, he's great. Although I get them mixed up, <laughs> they're both great. And so when I see them in the morning, I don't think, oh, God, how am I going to get on with Hiriko today? That just never occurs to me. Or, or Nino, or what do you mean? Or, you know, it's just we get on together. Yeah. But if you're somebody you're having a problem with, regularly the thought comes up, oh, right, how can I get on with this person? How can I? And that's appropriate. You know, we, we, but to do that with, with our negative states of mind, likewise, is there, how can I... How can I get on with this state? Not just to react against it. You know, so what I keep pointing to is a, the, the value of, of getting interested in our predicament because interest focuses the mind in an alive, creative way. Yeah? Um, sometimes in meditation or in daily life, but particularly in meditation, 
what what can happen is something negative, unpleasant, comes along, and because we can be quite willful, we can just want to dismiss it and just come back to meditation object. You know, sometimes meditation instruction can can be understood like that. Just keep coming back to the meditation object. Now that's okay as a as a as a first response, but if this obstruction keeps coming back and it keeps annoying us and keeps trying well basically we've got an issue there just like that person in the community we don't get on with we, we've got something we have to we can't pretend it doesn't help to pretend so in meditation there are sometimes obstructions or difficulties that we need to let go of our meditation object and then turn to it and just say oh right what is this anyway yeah. probably you've heard me mention many times before Lumpur Cha's analogy of sitting in the in the cafe that um, you know you go to the same cafe every day or same day every week whatever on a regular basis and you get to know everybody there and so most of the time you're just sitting in your seat and somebody comes in and you just go huh just acknowledge them that's you know that's the thing to do huh? and then you just carry on drinking your coffee or having a conversation but then somebody else comes along one day who, you know, a newcomer, who you're not sure who they are, where they come from, you know. And so, you, you know, maybe check them out. You find who they are. Or in the community here, it's the same. And we get all sorts of people coming along here. And if they don't look like they're going to stick around or whatever, just kind of, hmm, how are you doing? But if it's somebody who keeps coming back all the time and you don't know them, well, then make a point of getting to know them. Well, likewise with the different conditions that uh, meet us in our meditation sometimes we need to just say, okay, okay, I've got to make an effort with this one and so it's like that particularly with the negative mind states, we can't just turn away and keep coming back to the meditation object thing, if I just bang away at this breath I'm going to break through and all that nasty stuff is going to disappear well, you might be lucky <laughs> but you might be very unlucky as well because sometimes what happens is you do break through to a highly refined, very powerful state of mind, but then this nasty, obnoxious monster finds a way of getting in there too and starts feeding on all that energy you've generated. And then you're really sorry because those otherwise mildly unpleasant tendencies can get really big and become really difficult. So my advice would be that you know you don't want to just pretend this stuff is not there, difficulties that come along you find a way of getting interested in them not too interested another good um, metaphor that's often given in teaching is is to see yourself as a meditator meditator as the host you're in, in a rest house a guest house a hotel you're the you're the host you're the, the you're the doorkeeper and people come along and guests come and you show them to your room to their room not your room <laughs> as a mistake you show them to their room, and uh, then you come back to do your duty again, to mind the door, mind the desk. It's not your place to go and stay there with them. It's not your place to get to know them too well. You just do your duty, show them place, and then when they're the time to leave, they leave. You don't leave with them. Your job is the, the doorkeeper or the, the receptionist at the desk. And so being the receptionist is a, is a good model. If we establish ourselves in that, prepare ourselves with that view, well then whatever comes along, even if it's something really difficult and unpleasant, 
we're not going to engage with it too much. And the other thing to also bear in mind is that once you've gotten to know, you know these states, we don't have to keep investigating all the time. Like with the people in the cafe, you, you know, you've checked this person out, you know who they're just going, hmm, how you doing? That's, it. That's good enough. You know, sometimes we feel, oh, I've got to get rid of all my negativity. And I mean, what's behind this negativity anyway? Maybe there's something really terrible is locked away in my psyche and you dig away and dig away and dig away. And, and we can make things a lot worse. So staying in the body, staying present with a broad awareness, feeling the same well, We get to feel the tone of, of this obstruction, how much effort we need to put into it just the right amount, not too much, not too little, and then when it's gone, we drop it. Now, you might find you've just got this temptation to just, I, I want to look at it again to make sure, like if you have a doubt about something, it can be really seductive. It just keeps pulling you back to, did I really deal with that? Did I really deal with that? Or did I just repress it? Yeah. Did I just repress it? It's going to come back and get me later on. Well, we look at it to a certain amount, and then we just got to, no, that's enough. And dare, dare to trust. Dare to trust. Know that you're not intentionally... It is not my wish to deny this state of mind. You can say that to yourself. It is not my intention or my wish to deny the state of mind. You know, be quite clear about that. But I think I've looked at it enough for now and I absolutely refuse to look at it. And sometimes you've got to be like that. It's like, it's like children, you know. I don't have any children, but I've seen people with children, and uh, sometimes, you know, you give them a certain amount of attention, and then they keep going, yeah, 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 I want some more, yeah, I want some more. And you just got to, no, that's it. Because they're testing you, they're just seeing, you know, and, and your job as a parent is to set a boundary. Say, no, I've given you enough, yes, you want so much, and yes, I give you something, and yes, I love you, but this is it, this is as far as it goes. And out of love and compassion and clarity, Set a boundary, and that's it. Stop. And they don't stop. They keep, hey, 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 and you, say, you just smile and say, yeah, that's it. I don't mind how much you go on. You can go on as long as you like. And Out of understanding that it's your job to set a boundary there as a parent. And if you don't, the children suffer. Well, likewise with our minds. You know, uh, These things, these conditioned tendencies, traditionally in Buddhism we call it Mara. Yeah, Mara is just going to feed on our attention, just going to do anything to get our attention. Like, see the Buddha sitting up there in, the, in that painting at the back of the Dhamma Hall? Do anything to get the Buddha's attention, to distract him from his goal. But the Buddha is absolutely resolute. His eyes are open. He can see what's going on, but partly open, you know. The Buddha's not like this, or like this. He's there. And his eyes are somewhat, he sees what's going on, but he is not distracted. Well, we're like that as well, with these tendencies, guilt, negativity, ill will, resentment, anger, fear. We know what's going on. Sometimes we have to turn and look at it and engage it till we know what it is. And say, okay, I know that, and then turn back and just be resolute and, and not move. It's an act of trust because we're not sure, but I do want to mention how important this uh, willingness to dare to trust ourselves once we reach this point is. And so just a little bit more specifically on this particular question here about a skillful way to work with anger when it arises in response to what one feels is ignorant behavior by others. 
If we really perceive it as ignorant behavior by others, I don't think there's a problem. Because, you know, if you know somebody's ignorant and they don't know what they're doing, well, you just feel sorry for them. Um, I suspect, though, what's behind this is is that when we get in the state of feeling righteous, I don't know, I might be wrong, I'm not sure where this question, but where we, we feel righteous in our anger, that, you know, somebody is so stupid, I've got to really tell them. You know, if, if you can feel that way, I can feel that way sometimes. And it's, and it's just, when you, when you have it, when I have it, I really do feel justified. So the only thing that's going to get through to this mutton head is I just let them have it. He's thick as two planks, this guy. <laughs> so get his act together. You know, being subtle, being sensitive, being caring, being kind. <laughs> and he hasn't got the message. <laughs> so just whack him. Some fudge anger, it'll just cut through the nonsense. Well, there's a lovely story of when Ramdas was talking to Nimkroli Baba about using anger to teach people. And Nimkroli Baba says, never use anger to teach people. And Ramdas says, but what about never use anger? And Ramdas says, but maybe somebody says, never use anger to teach people. And Ramdas says, well, maybe somebody says, never use anger to teach people. And I don't know how long he went on for, but Nim Karoli Baba, well, he was pretty determined as well. And, and that was it. Never. That's the principle. Never use anger to help other people. Now, our minds being so clever and agile, you think, well, you know, maybe sometimes there are kind of, you know, maybe you don't want... Well, that, 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 it could be true. However, the message that Nimkrodi Bible was giving, as I understand it, was that we don't... That's not where we start from. Because if we hold the view, well, sometimes it's okay to get angry at people, then, then Mara can just slip right in there and, and just use that as an opportunity to leak some of that toxic energy out onto the world and then cause hurt. So the principle is we never engage in anger. Never by hatred is hatred conquered, but by readiness to love alone. This is eternal law. Love is the principle. And so if we come from that, if we're willing to take that on and say, right, my determination is to never try and come from, to try and never come from a place of anger. That's the principle. However, our lives are what they are, and, and um, so there's also the situation of having to accord with conditions. Accord with conditions without compromising principles. So here we know what the principle is, but how do we accord with conditions? Well, you know, even though that principle is wonderful and beautiful and we respect it, if we grasp to it too tightly, well, even that can get in the way. So it's important to have that principle, but our practice, our effort, is one of mindfulness. Here and now, body, mind, judgment-free awareness. That's how we live our life in the moment. And we find ourselves in situations that are sometimes very difficult. If we're busy holding on to this principle of, I can't get angry, I can't get angry, I can't get angry, (laughs) we can be storing up a lot of anger in our stomach and give ourselves some health problems and... um, so that's not, that's not practice. We hold to the principle, but we hold it lightly, and then we exercise mindfulness. And then sometimes things happen. You know, sometimes you do say something out of anger. 
And the best thing to do then is as soon as you can, you say sorry. But not to get all guilty about it. Oh, the Buddha said, readiness to love alone, this is eternal law, I'm hopeless, I'm hopeless. That's just more anger again. Telling ourselves we're hopeless is just more anger. Saying no, we feel the pain, feel the remorse, and then drop it and begin again. Or if the pain lingers on, then say, may this pain teach me whatever I need to learn, whatever it is that I need to learn to be free. I'm ready to learn this. I want to learn this. May this pain teach me. And with this kind of readiness to receive the the message from reality, from the Buddha, that uh, we missed the mark, we slipped up, with this readiness, well then, I think we can trust we will learn. We still will make more mistakes. We will still make more mistakes, but we have to also be willing to make, allow ourselves to make mistakes and not to cover them up. Yeah. Like I was saying yesterday that with, when, we get, when we lose it and we do things that are inappropriate and say things that are inappropriate, there's the habit to just cover it up and pretend it didn't happen. But that way we don't learn. From a practice perspective, actually, the better thing is to really take it on board and in the monastic life, and uh, the training we have is that every two weeks we get together and recite the rule, 227 precepts, and, and before we're allowed to sit down in the circle and listen to the rule being recited, we have to meet together uh, one-on-one, the two people at a time, and tell each other um, where we blew it, where we missed the mark. I mean, it's talk, we talk about confessing offences, which is you know, a slightly clumsy way of talking about it. It sounds like we're asking the other person to forgive us, which is not the case. But what we are doing is we're opening ourselves up to somebody else because, you know, we hold our faults back to ourselves. They can turn toxic on us and we can be fighting ourselves. Whereas if just to simply acknowledge it to somebody else can be a skillful training. It can be a very skillful thing to do. So like in our community life, that's what we do before we listen to the recitation of the rule. Likewise, in, for anybody in their spiritual discipline, if you, if you have a thing with anger or you have a thing with dishonesty, to go to your spiritual teacher, those you look up to, and say, you know, I, I need to talk about something. Can you just listen to me? It's not the same thing as asking them to forgive you or asking them to fix you even, but just asking to be heard is a way of bringing it up and making it more conscious. So I think it's a particularly good thing for dealing with, with anger. And whatever sort of anger, righteous anger or heedless anger or any sort of anger, if we get lost in it, then we are at fault and there is, we are causing harm, we are causing hurt to ourselves and to others. And so to come into a responsible relationship with it, where we're actually taking responsibility for this passion, it can be very skillful and very helpful to... Go to somebody you trust and say, can I just ask you to listen to me while I talk over what I'm struggling with? And then the chances are next time, when the righteous indignation or the anger or the ill will comes up, there's going to be more chance that we're going to be there for it. We're going to be quicker with our awareness. And so it doesn't leak out. Yes, we still feel the anger. We still feel the rage. And uh, maybe... You end up saying, you know, looking a bit stern or something. You, know, you don't have to be smiling at everybody all the time. That's a bit much. <laughs> you know, even looking a bit stern can help. You know, just that's all you need to do. Right? Just 
even a little grunt from time to time. But like that story out of India, you may have heard before of the the uh, the sage was trying to teach the snake to stop biting people. Have you heard this one? There's a this nasty snake. It wasn't really a nasty snake, it's just that nobody had given the proper spiritual teachings, and so he was going around biting people all the time, which, of course, you know, wasn't very popular, and everybody hated the snake. And so the sage was giving some instruction to the snake and said, look, you've just got to stop this. This is really not helping you, it's not helping anybody else. Biting people causes suffering. And so the snake took the advice and slithered off and went on its way. And A few weeks later, the sage came along and walked along the road and saw the same snake there sitting in the gutter, all beaten and bruised and bleeding and in a terrible state. And the sage asked him, well, what happened? He said, well, since you told me I wasn't allowed to bite anybody anymore, they've been just beating me up and kicking me and taking advantage of me. And and the sage says, well, I didn't tell you you weren't allowed to hiss. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, sometimes, like with a parent with a child, you've got to be a bit firm. Hopefully you don't, you don't hiss. <laughs> but you something you've got to be a bit, bit firm with people, and, and uh, that's okay. But that's different from letting the anger leak out. Now, we need to know the difference. We need to know what we're doing. And the same in meditation. When we, we're letting go, we're not pushing things away. We're letting go with understanding. And likewise with discipline, when we're setting boundaries for ourselves. We're doing this not out of an act of brutality to ourselves or of some sort of moralizing to ourselves, but with understanding. We understand that that this uh, anger, if, if I follow it, it hurts me and it hurts others. The basic principle, as the Buddha said, we trust him, is that the readiness to love alone, never by hatred is hatred conquered by readiness to love and go. That's the principle. How we accord with it in our daily life situation depends on how ready our mindfulness is, how well prepared we are. So uh, it's been quite a lot this evening. I think that's enough for now. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you.